panic. I'm just going to read John chapter 11, verses 32 through 46. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Thank you. You may be seated. It has been years since I have preached, but, but I hear it's just like riding a bike, so if I get out of breath and sweat, I guess we can assume everything's fine. <laughs> Even though we didn't read the whole chapter, I do want you to, uh, if you still have your Bibles open, peruse with me, because there are some nuggets. This is a, a, a heavy incident in Jesus' ministry, so heavy that he himself would weep. And so I want to get a running start at this. So even though I didn't read it, uh, we'll start in verse 1. The title of my message is Loss of Loss and Love. The main point of my message is that God loves his children. The purpose of my message is to encourage you to a deeper and more deliberate understanding of God's love. We see that in the first couple of verses that God's people are familiar with loss. At this point in the passage, Lazarus had only lost his health. But we are familiar enough with this story to know that he soon loses his life. And just because we are loved by God does not mean we will not suffer loss. The last time I preached was July the 10th, 2016. My father and my stepmother were sitting right over there. My dad had been diagnosed with cancer in March and he died on my birthday that same year, which is December the 18th. I normally enjoy my birthday, uh, but to be honest, as much as I dislike cliches, I've struggled during the holiday season since then. Last year was particularly hard. In addition to having my birthday come around and all that that it meant, uh, other things were happening. I lost a friendship, and it was because of my faith in Christ. But my struggles didn't stop there. Last year was a tough year. In college, uh, I roomed with a friend from high school, and we became best friends. And when I was living like a heathen in college, God used Glenn to draw me to himself. 
Glenn and I ended up going to seminary in Fort Worth, and uh, we roomed together and continued to encourage one another in the faith. And after seminary, I was best man at uh, Glenn's wedding. He moved to Florida. He went on to co-found a senior assisted living place, and he became, by my standards, pretty wealthy. It seemed like he had it all. This past December the 20th, my son and I were, not this year, but last year, my son and I were deer hunting, and Glenn and I were texting back and forth, just stupid jokes and comments and back and forth. Six days later, the day after Christmas, Glenn was on railroad tracks and didn't move when the train came. That's all I know about the story. But out of this event and all the other things that have happened, I purposed to be more deliberate in checking in on my friends and to be bold enough to speak when I thought their thinking needed to be corrected. It was in that spirit that I accepted a lunch invitation on April 3rd of this year. It had probably been two years or more since the four of us guys had gotten together. We used to get together regularly and joke and and check on each other and then have theological discussions. And during this lunch, one of them recently mentioned the verse that we're covering today, Jesus wept. And so I asked if uh, what they, why they thought Jesus wept. And one of them said, well, because Lazarus died. I asked if there was another reason. And another of the men said, basically that it was because Lazarus died, but also because the overwhelming effect of sin in the world. To be honest, do you know when you ask people a question, but you ask them because you really want to tell them what you think? (laughs) I'll be honest, that's why I did it. But we had already been there for an hour. We were at a noisy taco place. My voice doesn't carry very well. And uh, I needed to get back to work. And so we wrapped it up then. I went back, but still this was heavy on my heart in light of all the things that I had experienced in the past year or so. From this passage and from our personal experiences, we know that not only are God's people familiar with loss, but we can see that Jesus loves his own, he hears our prayers, and he knows our circumstances. This is part of the reason I want to cover the first part of the chapter, because there are some nuggets, even though it's hard to hold on to, there are some nuggets in here that lead up to Jesus weeping. So first of all, Jesus hears our prayers. In verse 3, we see that the sisters of Lazarus reached out to Jesus. They knew that Jesus could do a great deal. Whatever they had heard stories or seen it with their eyes, uh, at this time, they couldn't see Jesus physically, but, but they could send him a message. When we pray... Jesus hears us. Jesus knows our circumstances. Jesus responds to them with words of encouragement. This sickness is not ending in death. It had to be encouraging to the hearers. When we deal with loss, we should pray and read God's word all the more. The only place we find an anchor for our souls is to be tethered to the rock. In spite of God's words, What a shock it must have been when Lazarus actually ended up dying. This is a case in which their circumstances affected their faith more than Jesus' words. No matter what happens, we trust that God is in control. Jesus is more aware of our circumstances than we are. He wasn't surprised when he receives the news of Lazarus. Instead, the way John writes it, it seems to be an echo of a healing he mentioned in chapter 9. A man was born blind and his disciples, whose sin brought on this blindness? And to paraphrase, 
Jesus said, no one, but this terrible circumstance for all this man's life occurred so that I can display God's works. Whatever we go through, we must remember that God is actively working for his glory. Jesus loves his own. John notes in verse 5 that Jesus loved the sisters and Lazarus. So, when he heard Lazarus was sick, he waited another two days. This has got to sound odd to us. I know it had to have shocked them. Like, why not go now? Because our logical assumption is that Jesus loved him. If he did, he would stop his suffering and heal him. However, even though they couldn't see it, Jesus was doing the most loving thing he could for them. The reason Jesus did not heal his friend Lazarus from afar is because Jesus gives what is best. The first way we see Jesus giving what is best is that God works in his timing. The sisters wanted a quick answer. However, a quick answer would not have been what was best for them. The problem is Jesus knew that that was not what they needed. In Romans 8.28, it says that, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In order for them to get what was best, the disciples would have to be patient and trust that God is working and the best outcome will be seen in his timing. We see that it's best to have an urgency with the gospel. I know that sounds weird with Jesus waiting two days, but his next few comments to the disciples in verses 8, 10, 11, and 15, <clears throat> Jesus expresses an urgency to complete the Father's will. Jesus was taking advantage of where the Father led him during his earthly ministry, no matter how dark the circumstances. Jesus, the light of the world, is needed in the darkest places and moments. The disciples needed to see something about Jesus while he, the light of the world, was with them. Jesus was eager to be involved in Lazarus' suffering and in a location that was very risky. It was all in God's timing. As followers of Christ, what does that tell us about how we should interact with one another in the world? As has become extremely clear to me lately, everybody lacks and everybody has suffered losses. Everyone needs Jesus. <clears throat> in spite of everything else we may think is best, it's best that Jesus is glorified. Jesus taught in Jerusalem in uh, chapter 10 that he and the Father are one, and the Jews nearly killed him for it. But even now, those closest to him did not really understand who Jesus is. It was time for Jesus to show them. What was best for his friends and his disciples was that they see the glory of God and Jesus' glory as equal with the Father's. After the disciples misunderstood what Jesus was saying and doing, he plainly told them that Lazarus was dead. And what he said next must have shocked them. He said he was glad. He was glad for their sakes. Jesus implies with this statement that, that if that the best thing the disciples would gain in the middle of this tragedy is not the life of their loved one, but faith in him. So now we arrive back at my lunch conversation. Jesus wept. <clears throat> Why did he weep? Was it for Lazarus? If so, it would seem odd 
that he would plan the event, delay to bring it about, and use words like glad to describe it. Also, what do we believe happens when a friend of Jesus dies? I think we should consider Lazarus' current state. What is Lazarus doing now? I would contend that Jesus knew better than anyone that Lazarus' current condition uh, was good. I'm going to illustrate it with this story. This Christmas, I bought my kids a go-kart. Oh, did I say that out loud? I planted a seed in their minds a few months ago because of our yard uh, that uh, uh, an internal combustion engine would be great for them. And I had a go-kart growing up, but the go-kart that I bought is awesome. It's, it's got a roll cage, seat belts, shocks. Uh, it goes fast. It's fantastic. And so I, I bought it a few weeks ago. I got a great deal on it. I bought it used. And I couldn't hide it anywhere because my kids follow me all around the yard. So there's no way. So I talked my wife into letting me share it with the kids early. Uh, I went to the house. I said, hey, I have a gift for the whole family. Do you want it now or do you want to wait? They smiled. So we went outside. I love the reaction of all of my kids, but my favorite was my two-year-old, Gunner. Some of you know him. Uh, So he started running out there. He had a nice little jogging gait, and I like doing athletics, and so I appreciated that. That was fantastic. But when he got close enough to see what was on the trailer, his body locked up. His legs went straight, his arms went straight, his hands straightened out. I thought he was going to fall, and his voice dropped a couple of octaves, and he said, Go Kart! So after all my planning and going to get it and plotting, the word that came to my mind was precious. And I had a tear in my eye because when you do something for your kids and they're wanting something lesser. They wanted battery-operated stuff. Internal combustion engine is the way to go. <laughs> I thought the word that came to my mind was precious. I was reminded of the verse in Psalms that the Lord says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And thinking about that, it's not that God gains anything from us. I think what's precious to our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, not like me, is our response when we get to see Him as He is and to see what He has prepared for us on that day. Incidentally, in addition to God being holy, I think that's part of the reason we have to be given a new body because if Gunner's reaction was any indication, I don't think these bodies can handle what we're going to see one day. The point is, Jesus knew that Lazarus was fine. So we have to consider the word for deeply moved also. In scripture, when it says, in its sandwich, you have Jesus was deeply moved, Jesus wept, Jesus being deeply moved. The word that's used there, um, it, it's, uh, let's see, it's a Greek word translated, to have an intense, strong feeling of concern, often with the implication of indignation, to feel strongly, to be indignant. There's another word for mourn that the same author, John, uses in the book of Revelation. So this wasn't a mourning kind of weeping. Jesus was indignant. He wasn't happy. So much so that it caused the second person of the Trinity to weep. So for a moment, instead of focusing on Lazarus, because we noticed that John, as he 
mentions Lazarus was raised. He says that man was raised. And Jesus didn't run to him and say, oh, that was so close. Instead, let's focus on what Jesus encountered as he came to the city where those who know him best were. First, let's consider the faithless comments, the conversations, and the companions that Jesus saw. Let's talk about Martha for a minute. We've heard other stories about Martha when Jesus was teaching and Martha was in the kitchen busy. Lord, do you not care that Mary's not helping? So this is kind of on par with how she is. So Martha meets him with a complaint. Lord or sir, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I'm sure she didn't mean it this way, but she follows that complaint with a statement that resembles how one might talk to a prophet instead of God. She says, even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give it to you. Then she gets into theological, eschatological uh, discussion with him, which is odd to me, knowing who he is. And even though her confession sounds good, she still seems to fall short of believing that Jesus, uh, believing in Jesus the way he deserves. So let me explain that. So Jesus commands that they remove the stone. And Martha tries to educate Jesus on the science of decomposition. In verse 37, the maker of the universe who made man in God's image, who created microscopic cells that he joined together to form tissues and organs and the human body and breathe life into them, is being instructed by Martha about decomposition. (laughs) I think she respected Jesus, but her statement reveals that she did not think Jesus and the Father were one. It seems she wanted Jesus, as a prophet might do, to ask God to raise Lazarus, and if God did what Jesus wanted, then they would open the tomb. So let's talk about Mary, her sister. When Mary comes to to Jesus, what does she say? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What does it tell you when you hear the same exact phrase from two different people at two different times? Either God is telling you something, or these people are complaining about you to one another. They were basically saying it's too late for Jesus to do anything, thereby reinforcing each other's lack of faith. Also consider the the obvious unbelievers that were with them. Jesus encounters the unbelieving Jews who were surrounding Mary and Martha to console or commiserate with the family. Why do I say they were unbelieving? According to verse 19, they were likely from Jerusalem. And as Bethany was only two miles away, Jerusalem was where the Jews wanted to kill Jesus because they said that he blasphemed that he and the Father were one. Also, at the end of this story, John mentions that many of the Jews believed on him. So they had to be unbelievers before they believed on him. Okay? In verse 36, as they saw Jesus weeping, the Jews were saying, see how he loved him, referring to Lazarus. As a general rule, unless it's Balaam who heard it from a donkey, I do not recommend accepting opinions of who Jesus is or what he does from unbelievers. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He cannot understand them. The statement was merely a narrative method used by John. He did this later in the same gospel, and for time's sake, if you want to write it down and look it up later, uh, in John 21, 22, and 23, John records that the disciples were saying something, but he notes that what they were saying wasn't true. So it's just a narrative method that John was using to explain what was going on. But look at what some of the unbelievers contributed. 
After seeing Jesus weeping, some said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? They were repeating what Jesus heard from Martha and Mary. Lord, if you had been here, I believe this seed of faithlessness was planted by the unbelieving Jews. These comments served further to undermine their faith. This is how Satan works. He gets you to question God's love for you. In the Garden of Eden, he said, did God really say? In other words, if God loved you, he would let you eat the fruit and you could be like him. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Because if God really loves you, as you say he does, you won't get hurt. And now the lie Satan is spreading is, if Jesus really loved you, would he have let this happen to you? Would you be going through this circumstance if Jesus really loved you? Folks, we can't let this satanic message get into our minds and question God's love for us. With all the mess that's happened, to properly understand Jesus' tears, you have to contrast all that negativity and all the lies with the purpose. We have to consider the purpose of the gospel and Jesus' mission. What did Jesus say about it? First of all, the gospel... The one who wrote this, inspired by God's spirit. Uh, John tells us why he recorded this miracle. In John 20, 30 through 31, he says, Therefore many other signs also performed uh, Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What about Jesus? What did he want to achieve through this? Jesus' mission... In verses 15, 26, 40, and 42, Jesus said he was glad Lazarus was dead for the sake of his disciples so that they would believe. In fact, you notice Mary, Martha, and the unbelieving Jews, they questioned Jesus three times. It's interesting that in this passage, Jesus mentions the word believe six times. In contrast to a lack of faith, Jesus is urging faith in him. For further application for us today, so we can understand why Jesus was crying, we can read his high priestly prayer. It's a beautiful prayer recorded in John 17. I just want to point out one, one part of it. Starting in verse 20, he's praying to the Father. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, referring to his 11 disciples, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That's us. These are the words of the apostles. This is their word. Because this word is from John. John's recording it. And then he says in verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. In other words, that the world would see the evidence of God's love for his children by even sending Jesus to save them. Sending Jesus to save us. What love? Why did Jesus weep? In light of all of this, I'm convinced that Jesus wept for you. He wept for me and for all of his disciples standing around for the times that we allow Doubt about God's love for us to creep in. 
That's not where we should be. After all the humility it took for the almighty creator of the universe to enter his creation, be born as a baby, grow and live among his people, he would conquer sin and death on the cross and impart true life to his people, yet they still do not fully acknowledge the mind-blowing fact that God is with us. Jesus wants us to believe that God loves us so much that he did not withhold his very best, his only son. Let this be the big takeaway from this message of loss and love. God's love overcomes our loss. God loves us enough to be with us. That's a big thing. There are some people that I just don't want to be with. (laughs) They're unpleasant. Have you ever met me? (laughs) I'm not very pleasant. But God loves me and you enough to be with us. In verses 41 and 42, Jesus prays out loud so that all could hear. Notice Jesus did not ask the Father to raise Lazarus, contrary to what Martha expected. See that? It's about Jesus revealing his glory, who he is. He's a big deal. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus said that they would see the glory of God so that the Son would be glorified by it. He wanted them to see him as Emmanuel, God with us. He is God, and he has come. God demonstrates his love for us in Jesus. I recently saw on social media a quote from John Piper about Christmas, and I thought it was good. Christmas, the Son of God, expressing the love of God to save us from the wrath of God so that we could enjoy the presence of God. As we go through loss, and all of us do, and all of us have, and all of us will, we cannot ignore the fact that Jesus promises he is with us. Children, I don't care how awesome your Christmas gifts are this year. Go-karts excluded. That's pretty nice. I'm kidding. But nothing that you receive will compare to Jesus. The Bible says that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only begotten son, that the ones believing in him should not perish but have eternal life. What that means is that God looked with love on you and me and saw our greatest need. We had lost peace with him, our maker. To restore our relationship, someone had to be perfectly obedient to show the true worth of the Father. He had to be without sin, eternal in nature, and willing to die in the place of sinful rebels. Our need required no less than God himself. Our need required no less than Jesus. The amazing thing about this is there's also none greater than Jesus. Yet God gave him for each one of us that believes. You may not readily see it or understand it all the time, but Jesus is all you'll ever need. Whatever you have lost and whatever you lack, Jesus is the answer. When Jesus prayed to the Father before raising Lazarus, he said, I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. One of the tactics for meditating on God's word is to place an emphasis on different words in the sentence. And often I'll read this sentence, this prayer, as, uh, so that they may believe that you sent me. That's fine. 
But Jesus, wanting himself to be glorified before his people, he says, I want them to believe that you sent me the very best. God didn't withhold anything from you, even though it feels that way now. In fact, the worst thing that this life can throw at us is death. And as horrible as that is, Jesus responded to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I am whom and what you are seeking, and I am here. Do you and I reckon this to be true? We do mourn, folks. That's just part of this life. But ultimately, our identity is not that we are a people who have lost. We are a people who have gained because God loves us so much, he gave Jesus. As musicians come to sing a song of response, let's consider the words. It's amazing. I didn't really have to even mention this uh, message because of the advent and the songs. Everything's pointing and echoing the same thing today, and I hope that you are getting that. People have losses, people have struggles, people lack, people are discontent. But we are people who have the message of Jesus. And as we gather together, we encourage each other, we we remind each other of this unique message that Jesus is enough. Let me pray. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you that even in this world's worst circumstances, you, you are aware, you hear us, and you have provided Jesus. I pray that as we go through this holiday season, uh, that we're reminded so the world can look and see that God, the one who matters most, gave us the very best gift that we could ever receive. And let the world be amazed by that, the love that you've shown to your people. And let us be mindful of that, that our identity is not in loss, but in Christ. Our meditation is not upon what we have lost, but our meditation is upon the the word become flesh. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.